Welcome to this Thursday evening meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. This evening's message is by Paul Abel. Good evening, everybody. Praise God. Ready? (laughs) On Sunday, I was speaking about uh, the Ministry of Reconciliation, or uh, as I call it, the Ministry of Amazing Grace, or just, oh my God. (laughs) Um, I want to go back and just read uh, one of the last passages that I read, which I've read a few times before. But just to listen to uh, what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth here. And Corinth, the church in Corinth was an incredible church. It was full of people that had come from, well, what we would still call today deprived backgrounds and very alternative lifestyle backgrounds. Uh, It was a thoroughly 21st century church in many respects in sense of all the people that were part of it, um, across the whole spectrum, from those that had been completely anti-God to those that were Jewish to those that must have been God-seekers. And they were all come together. And this is his second letter. In the first letter, he's having to uh, um, talk about some very basic things of just coming into God's order. And in the second letter, he's encouraging them ever more, even more. It's the only place in the Bible where... Uh, Paul has to say, look, don't get carried away with the tongues. <laughs> don't get carried away with the prophecies. <laughs> you need some sort of order in what you're doing, because they were so full of the Spirit and so excited and, and trying so many different things. And we're jumping in here uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, but we're jumping in to the part that in the NIV is actually subtitled the Ministry of Reconciliation or the Ministry of Amazing Grace. It could be the Ministry of Amazing Mercy. I'm going to jump very quickly. I'm not reading it all, so you might just want to listen. I'm in an NIV translation, but since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. I mean, that was the other... The week before Easter, I was speaking on how the world is, uh, how people are, our society is almost at risk of breaking down through fear of other, fear of the others, fear of people who are different, fear of those who have a different nationality or different skin color or different accent or different income or different country or different education or different class. Whatever it is, there's a lot of lines being drawn, we're different. Politically, it seems that it's become, I mean, politicians have always slung mud at one another, but it seems even more vicious than it has for for many, many years. And it seems the desire to be honorable and respectful um, is dissipating. And if there is a group of people that can turn that back around again, it must be the church. If there is going to be a transformation in our society, it must come from the church because that's completely contrary to who we are. And that kind of fear paralyzes and divides, whereas the fear of the Lord sets you free and unites. Because if you have this fear, this reverence, this awe of God, you want to live how he does. The Greek tense here is, it's like that continuous 
<coughs> present active tense. It's more like knowing what it is like to fear the Lord. It's something that is ongoing. It's something that Paul is saying, it's constantly part of our life. And because we, we are constantly aware of, of what it is to have this fear of God, and so, wow, amazing grace. And it's those two things that have to go together, because if you were just afraid of God, of course, that would be as paralyzing as being a fear of the other. So it's a fear of God that's got to be closely aligned with, but God's grace is amazing because he accepts me as I am. He is so different to us. Yes, we are made in his image. Yes, you can see God in the body of Christ together, but he is the ultimate other. He is eternal and good and wonderful and powerful and holy and loving with perfect acceptance, with Perfect love for everyone. And yet when you know how awesome and how holy he is, there, sh- there should be, and it could only come through revelation, that fear of God. Well, this is God I'm talking about. And it is a, it is a, it's one of those things to walk in God because it's equally right to talk of God as Abba, the father whose lap I can run and jump into and he's delighted to see me. As much as he is Elohim, the creator God, Yahweh, the Lord that we bow down before because we are not so much worthy to come before him, as the Anglican Communion says. It's true, except that in Christ we have been made worthy. And whereas we would be like paper is destroyed in a flame, as we would be destroyed in God's presence, we are not because of what God has done. So that's why Paul starts this passage, because his whole, his whole impetus for what he's about to write, what about he's about to go into, is knowing how it is to fear the Lord. We want to persuade others to know the fear of the Lord. And it's often quite noticeably absent from the church. It's very unfashionable because it doesn't sound very nice when you first hear it. Oh, we've got to be terrified of God. Well, in one sense, yes. If you think who he really is and what he really can do, except that it is not like that because of what he has done. But we should never lose the sense of that power. It's... um, Kate's mum has a car called a Sunbeam Alpine, uh, which was a 1960s sports car. And then there was an upgraded version of it called the Sunbeam Tiger. And that had an even more powerful engine. Well, I used to own a car called a Humber Scepter that had the same engine in it as, as the Alpine. And that was fast. It, was, it could be sometimes when I was feeling naughty and a car would come up behind you because it looked like this old. It was a 1963 Humber Scepter. It looked old. Although it did look suspiciously like something out of Thunderbirds. The kids in my class used to call it my Thunderbirds car. And I taught them mechanics by taking them over to the car and showing them what bits in the engine did. But anyway, but, but you could, a modern car, or a modern car then, could come up behind you, you know, and you could put your foot down and leave them for dust. It was fun. Unless you needed to go around a corner or stop. <laughs> <laughs> Because those who are technically minded, it had full drum brakes <laughs> and interesting suspension. 
big fat tyres. And so it was fast, but it didn't like corners very much. And of course, it didn't have power steering anyway either. And it was heavy to go around a corner. I mean, parking it developed arm muscles in just one park. But it was fun. But the Sunbeam Tiger was, had, was a much smaller, lighter car, and it had a far more powerful engine with twin carburetors, and it was fast. And most of them, I believe, is, is actually correct. It might not be quite correct, but most of them were written off. They were renowned for killing people because the power available was far more than most people could control when aligned with the brakes they would have had, which would have been much better than my Humber Scepter and the handling it had and the suspension that the car had and everything else. It couldn't take it. And so if you were to survive, literally, driving a Sunbeam Tiger, you had to respect or even fear the power you had, knowing that if you stepped on that power too much, you could die. So the fear of the car was not something negative, it was something that kept you alive. Do you see what I mean? And that's another allegory of what perhaps the fear of God is. That's the sheer power, the sheer raw power of that love, of that acceptance, of that ability to see lives changed, of healings to be unleashed, for our lives to be completely ruined. <laughs> I mean, in terms of just wanting to do our own thing. God's not really into everybody just wanting to do their own thing. But not because he's some great almighty killjoy, but actually he does know best. But wow, what awesomeness. Imagine if we, the church, had the fear of God truly ruling in our lives. I wonder how much sin there would be. Because you'd be like, I want to get right. We would, we, would, we would be so reluctant to even go near taking offence, no matter how offensive somebody had been. No, no, I'm not taking offence. No, that's fine. I forgive you. <laughs> you know? Because you wouldn't want to be wrong. You wouldn't want to be in a bad place. Because you, I just want to be right with you, Lord. Not because you're scared of what he's going to do to you, but you're just in awe of who he is. I, I really believe this is something God wants to bring to those who will accept it. For those that hunger. But, you know, it's scary. I like my home comforts. Don't know about you. What might God challenge me on? I mean, you can get really legalistic about this, and this is often what happens and why people push the fear of the Lord away and, and ignore it. If we can ignore the fear of the Lord, we don't need to worry about that, but we, obviously we need to get right. So let's not drink any alcohol. Let's never go to the cinema. Nobody should watch these kind of films. You shouldn't read any books. Certain sports you shouldn't do. You mustn't do that. And you invent all these rules for a veneer of holiness. And instead of doing the things because of your relationship of awe and respect and love for God, you have this set of rules that, that guide your life, which then becomes a greater burden than before you started. It's, it is just a veneer. 
It, it superficially can make society look a lot better. What you usually find is this terrible judgment and condemnation for those that aren't managing to live by the rules. Whereas you don't actually need rules for people who love and fear God because they won't want to do anything that would disrupt society. Well, unless society needs disrupting for other reasons, but that's not what we're talking about. If it's challenging society on its attitudes of certain areas, that might be a prophetic role, but you know what I mean. Imagine being in the place of just not wanting to sin. When we sin, it shows we don't really fear God. I'm not saying you don't fear God at all whatsoever, not a tiny drop, you're totally condemned, go and sit in the bucket and cry. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this is something that God wants to break through in our lives more and more. God loves us. He's very happy with where we are, but he's saying, let's go further. Let's do more. Let's see you more free than you've ever been. Because when we try and live up to the rules, even if we're not judged by others, we end up judging ourselves and we feel like we're not good enough and we don't make it. And we, we look at all the things that are wrong in our lives and we feel like, yeah, I've got to keep that hidden. Or we don't manage to keep it hidden. And then we feel bad because everybody else knows. This is a huge source of where depression comes from. It's because there's no fear of God, but it's kind of a, I don't want others to know or I'm not living up to the rules. When we fail and we fear God, we don't get depressed because we get right with God. And we're washed and it's gone and it's dealt with. We don't have to worry about him finding out. He knows anyway. How many things have you done? God, the stupidity of me. You know, where you... You know, I've done something and I pretend I haven't done it because I don't want God to find out. <laughs> I don't want to pray about it because he might find out. He might not have noticed. There's just a chance he didn't notice that. Ever been there? Because I have. I don't know about you. Sometimes I've got stuff like that that's come back and God reminds you of it years later. Oh, I'd forgotten. You obviously haven't. <laughs> he wants to forget, but he wants to forget because we're free from it. And until we're free from it, he will never forget because he would never let us be bound by things that haven't been forgiven. It's actually in his love he will never forget our sins because if he forgot our sins, he would never be free. He only, forget, he only forgets our sins when they are forgiven and we outbreak away from them. Praise God. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. For Christ, this is verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. Compulsion coming upon all the church. See, love and fear. It says that perfect love chases out fear, but perfect love chases out the fear that, not the fear of God, it chases out the fear of others. Because you're so in love with God that you can overcome all those fears. Because you just want to live a life that matches up to what he wants. Because you've, you come into those revelations of how amazing... It is what he's done. Even if we can't understand it, we can understand that it's amazing. 
And I confess, even after all these years of being a Christian, there's elements of me which still doesn't understand why Jesus died on the cross. I know what was accomplished. I know why he did it. I know what went on in that process. I know what that meant for everyone. I know what that means for reconciliation and amazing grace. But there's still a bit of me that says, couldn't you have done something else? <laughs> Did it have to be that way? Don't you? I think sometimes people think that's lack of faith. That's not lack of faith. That's just trying to understand the mind of God. It's not rejecting it. It's just... I don't really fully get this God. And God says, that's because you're not God. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and he'll give you, it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this. But he can never fully and completely show you why you're walking on this planet because you're not a heavenly God. We do have the mind of Christ, but we don't live, we don't have God's full mental capacity to retain the hopes and dreams of every single person that's ever lived and ever will do. <laughs> and know them individually and know the numbers of hairs on their head. I couldn't cope with that for the people in this room, let alone ever. Every single person. No wonder we can't fully understand everything. Oh, hallelujah. For Christ's love compels us. We try to persuade others, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one, that's Jesus obviously, died for all, and therefore all died. As in, we all die in Christ. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Sometimes you hear some people talking about their, their faith in God as if it was something to make them better. And that's it. It's something that's going to give them a better job or a better income or more success. And that's it. But Christ didn't die to make us live for ourselves better. He died that we might live for him and therefore our others and therefore for ourselves. Because actually, the thing is, we're created in the image of God. And if you remember who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's created for relationship. The other thing that's very significant when you look at the Trinity is that immediately there was the love of the three, that love wanted more, that wanted more relationship. It was immediately wanting to reach out. And we have the creation of all of humankind. And as soon as humankind is broken from that, God's seeking to restore that relationship. Because he thrives on relationship. It's not like, oh, well, if we weren't there, God would be okay because he's God. You can't really think like that because that just doesn't exist. We're there because God did want to expand that love. He wanted that love to be shared that they had as the three of them. It wasn't an exclusive little dance club. It was one of those huge Jewish... Rings, except that it's all moving in and out as well as going round. It's, it's like the atoms. It's like the electrons and neutrons and protons. It's like the planets. It's like the universe spinning and whirling. All the bodies in, in, in the universe, all at the same time, spinning everywhere. And yet then you look at the, what is randomly chaos and you see these beautiful NASA pictures of, of what it looks like. And you think, 
that's supposedly just chaos. Everything just going everywhere, and yet it forms such beauty. But that's what we are. Everything going everywhere, such chaos. And yet, in God, such order. And made for one for another. Shona was recently asking me for a, a work she did. She said, can I have the leadership diagram? I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, it's like a, a diagram of the different responsibilities of people in the church. It's interesting how out of date it is. It's, I mean, it's 2016 and there's so many changes. But I remember speaking on how we're never put in this place and that's just it. There's this constant movement and changing and, oh, I'm picking that up now. You know, I'm running with that now, and I'm taking it over to the, oh, this person is taking it on from here, and I'm off, you know, and there's this constant toing and flowing, of, and the, the way it's written, it's great for trying to understand communication, but it's one of these sort of structures, it's very, like a pyramid, and the danger of that is you get this idea of a strong hierarchy, but as I said to Shona, I've no idea whatsoever how to redraw it. The only thing I could think of is a really clever person doing some sort of three-dimensional animated graphic on a computer screen, or preferably like a hologram. <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> Learn how to program holographics. All intermingling and relating. Looking like chaos, but actually incredible order and beauty. Should be easy. <laughs> I think of it like those NASA pictures that I showed when I did that talk. Do you remember some of those? I don't know if you do. But just the, the, and, and that was the beauty of electrons and, and protons and just beautiful different colors. Because that's just so business and we're not business. The church is alive. You know, we're more like a tree. Or actually we're more like planet Earth. With all these symbiotic relationships. You ever thought how weird it is there's all this symbiosis in the world, it's because that's how God is. That's, that's what the Trinity looks like. They're symbiotic. They live dependent on one another. And that's how he's created us to be, to be dependent on one another. And that's why when we try and get our independence and, and, and you know, pull ourselves up and get on with our own lives, it leads to misery, depression and loneliness because it's not actually who we are. It's like taking a beautiful plant uh, a, a beautiful flower and planting it in concrete and never watering it but telling it to stand up straight and look good it's just not going to work it's not how it was created it needs soil, it needs nutrients it needs the rain, it needs the sun and it is the same with us but we, we the, the, the western rational mind that we've had for the past 500 years <laughs> has told us to be independent, to grow up, move on, be separate, be your own person, go and discover yourself. If you go and discover yourself, what you'll find is something black and ugly and dirty that needs redemption. And then it's beautiful. I mean, that dirty black thing is still precious because that's what Jesus died for. But it's precious in the sense of what it is to become. Anyway. Oh, I, just was, I, I haven't got to the bit I was going to talk on. <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> it's happened again. 
I only started at verse 11 because that's where the title was. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who should live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So then, from now on, we will regard no one from a worldly point of view. The worldly point of view is the judgment based on income or looks or how white the teeth are or what colour their clothes are, what labels are on their clothes, what job they've got, what education. All the worldly judgments that go on. Paul says we, we can't. How can we judge others according to their failures or successes as the world measures it? Because it's all nothing before God. It's a level playing field of every person counts. It's great that people succeed. The world would be a mess if it didn't. But in comparison with God's holiness and, and, and having this fear of God, it's nothing. Which is why you hear Jesus saying, you can do nothing, or I can do nothing, he actually says, apart from the Father. I can accomplish nothing on my own because I, Jesus says, am in relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit and then everyone else. Have you ever thought God doesn't even accomplish stuff on his own now? The Father is not working independently in the world. He's working through the body of Jesus in perfect relationship, full of the Holy Spirit. That's why we can do nothing apart from ourselves, because it's like planting a flower in concrete and not watering it and putting a box over the top. It's not going to flourish. But it's such a mindset change. But it's such a powerful mindset change. And I tell you what, the world needs it. So from now on, we will regard no one from a worldly point of view. I'm going to stop there, which is the point I was going to start. <laughs> it's funny, really. Um, I think we've got enough to just go before God. In terms of our meeting and encounter with the Lord tonight, for me, as we're worshipping him, and I think it will be the same for you, there's that going before God with our hearts open, saying, Lord, I want to know what it is to fear you like Paul knew. I mean, we often like to focus just on the love of God, and we must never not focus on the love of God. But wouldn't it be amazing to have that revelation of what it is to really fear God alongside knowing his love and acceptance. You can't have one without the other. It would be disastrous. So as we come before God, come into that holy place, we're just going to worship him, and we have this. You see, when we drink the wine at some point later on, and when we, when we eat this bread, we should almost be afraid of it. I mean, I think this is one of the things that the Catholic Church is trying to encapsulate in the whole thing of it being actually the body and 
blood of Christ. I mean, we, we don't believe it actually transforms into that. We believe it's a misreading of Scripture. But one of the reasons for saying that is, this is the reverence that you should treat this. Do you see what I mean? I mean, I used to be very happy just to... And, and you can have it in a happy situation. And in an emergency, you might well celebrate it with cracked crackers and orange juice because you know that you need to celebrate something and you need to... But really, that shouldn't happen very often because that's incredible. It's one of the few very direct things that, that Jesus gave us to do, to remember him. This is something that God gave us as his children. And only as his children can you take part in it. And Paul talks about, in Corinthians, if you, he says, some of you are dying because you're treating this wrong. You're just... You're having them, they were all eating together and they were arguing over the food and not having another, you know, and I want more. And it was just generally lots of bad attitudes and people had bad attitudes about others within the church and weren't forgiving. And then they were having communion. And Paul says, are you not surprised? <laughs> You're treating with disrespect, with lack of honor, without fear, his body and his blood. I've been, I, I, I think I've been guilty of that myself. Just, I think at one time I just found this a bit annoying. Mostly because of the way it had been done and treated, I think. But really, that is our visual and... Well, it's such a physical reminder. You can see the bread. You can smell the bread and the wine. You can taste the bread and the wine. You can hear almost the bread being torn apart. You can hear the wine being poured into the glass. You can touch the bread. You touch the chalice as you drink it. You touch it in your mouth. And it's very rare that you engage with all your senses in knowing who God is. That's another reason it is so amazing. Like I said, it, it was when I was in Italy and we were at St. Mark's Cathedral in Venice, which if you ever get a chance to go, go. It's an incredible place to just visit and the, and the history and everything in it. But they have an area, like many Catholic churches do, of what they call their relics. And amongst the things on display there are chalices from the past, these things. And some of them are huge, like this. And they're very, very ornate, gaudy, really, almost, in 21st century. But you can see also this beautiful craftsmanship. Somebody's taken a lot of care to make that. And for the first time in my life, seeing these things face-to-face, -face, as it were, because I've kind of always sort of said, we well, should, you know, a wooden cup will do, a teacup will do. Have a mug. It doesn't matter. It's the blood that's important. And, of course, that's true. But actually, I saw for the first time, they were trying to convey how precious the contents were. Because I'd always seen it as a kind of showing off. What an amazing cup we've got. And I no doubt there were some that were like that. But I think the original 
thought behind having something was to say, this is amazing, what we have here. Amen? Our cup's quite on ain't really. That's stem. <laughs> it is the contents, and even more, it is the remembrance of what it is. But when we take communion tonight in that holy place, that most holy place, let's keep this first sentence in mind. We know what it is to fear the Lord. Therefore, we tried to persuade others. It's not all about us. You know, get over yourself. Realize we're here for far more than that. I don't mean that in a rude and nasty way because you know that I, you know, the most hurting, the most selfish person, full of self person, our, our, our role is to sit next to them and love them or to walk with them. That, that's what it's there for. But our prayer is that they will go past that. That we learn to live for others, not just for ourselves. But in the meantime, let's not judge those that are just living for themselves or feel we're slightly superior because if we do, we're actually got it totally the wrong way around. Praise God. So worship team, let's, let's go into the presence of God and let's just seek this, his presence that we would know his fear and his love together. And that perfect love would cast out the fear of the world, but that perfect love would reveal to us the fear of the Lord because of his holiness. And we would live in that amazing grace. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.